In the name of the one who is Alpha and Omega, our way, our truth, and our life, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's a riddle. A father and a son are in a horrible car accident, and tragically, the father dies at the scene. The son is rushed to the hospital for emergency surgery. The surgeon enters the operating room, sees the patient on the table, and says, I can't operate. That boy is my son. How is this possible? According to rigorous research at Boston University, only about 15% of people figure it out the first time they hear the riddle. The answer is quite obvious and simple. The surgeon is the boy's mother. Also, nearly identical results are found when the scenario is changed to being a mother and a daughter in the accident and the nurse saying that girl is my daughter, with the nurse being the father. And of course, children of same-sex couples would likewise be overlooked as possible answers to this riddle. This riddle is often used in racial equity workshops to demonstrate how our bias clouds our judgment and makes us miss the obvious. When it comes to considering the topic presented in today's text from Revelation, we are likewise confused. If I were to ask you all to point in the direction of heaven, most of us have been conditioned to point up. And if I were to ask you, when you die, which direction would you like to go? Again, most of us would point up, even though most of us will be buried in the ground. <laughs> this is the result of letting mythology and cultural tropes be our GPS instead of scripture. When it comes to the questions related to heaven, we are disoriented and confused. And this matters. It's sort of like pin the tail on the donkey. We have been blindfolded and spun around. And because of this disorientation, we are likely to be way off target. As we continue our series through Revelation in Easter, we consider the direction and the destination of all things. When it comes to heaven, there are two questions that most people ask. What is heaven and how do we get there? The standard answers that are given to us by culture and misinformed Christians are that heaven is the place where God is and we go up there after we die. Both of these answers are fundamentally wrong. And I'm not just giving you my take on things when I make an accusation like that. As it becomes as clear and obvious as the boy's mother being the surgeon when we pay attention to what is in scripture. To understand the final two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, we have to keep in mind the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, humanity finds itself in a garden where there is abundant food and resources, where the tree of life is present, where there is no death, crying, or pain, and God is present in the garden. This is what God intended in creation, and the whole arrangement is called very good. Then, because of disobedience, humanity is no longer fit to remain in the garden, but God very much longs, desires, and works to restore what has been lost to humanity 
first through the matriarchs and patriarchs, then the prophets, then through God incarnate in the flesh of Jesus, and then through the Spirit-empowered church. Revelation assures us of the culmination of this story. The goodness of creation is fully restored. That, in a nutshell, is all of Scripture. For us to understand heaven, though, we have to keep Eden in mind. And it's odd that Christians so regularly get confused about this, and I absolutely include myself in this confusion. Because daily we pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. All we need to know is right there in what Jesus taught us. We get it right every time we use the prayer that Jesus gave us. The kingdom comes to earth like it is in heaven. We do not pray to be taken into heaven. That's going the wrong way. Instead, we pray that heaven comes here. And when we turn to the vision of Revelation, we hear that John recorded, Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And then a voice from the throne. So presumably this is our good shepherd, the lamb, who says, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. It is not God will bring us all up to heaven. No, very clearly it says God will come and dwell with us. This is the first question about heaven that we misunderstand, the how we get there part. And surprise, it's all about God's grace. We do not have to earn our way up there or choose to go to heaven or even hope that one day we might make it to heaven. No, God comes to us on earth as it is in heaven. And this is important because it fundamentally changes our relationship with the world around us. Revelation notes that there is a new heaven and a new earth. And translation makes a lot of difference here because new does not carry the sense of meaning of brand new. The lovely bell tower green that sits just a block from here is a brand new park. There is a park where there had not been one 18 months ago. Revelation speaks, though, about a different kind of newness, where there is continuity with what came before, while still having an added depth and character. One of the best ways to understand this kind of newness that describes the new heaven and the new earth is our recently dedicated transfiguration icon. Jesus is seen shimmering with the radiance of newness, but he does not stop being Jesus. And yet he is something new in that moment. Something deeper and truer is seen in him at the transfiguration. So we might say that transfigured is a better way of understanding the word new. And why this matters is that it works against all those who read Revelation as a prediction that God is going to destroy everything and then replace it with version 2.0. This erroneous belief leads us to neglect our sacred duty that we were given in Genesis to be the stewards and the keepers of the earth. 
Some Christians wrongly believe that since it's all going to get destroyed and replaced, then it doesn't matter if we trash the planet in the meantime. This erroneous belief also leads us to disregard the holiness of our bodies. We wrongly call them the shells or the containers of our soul. But the witness of Scripture is clear. What God intends to resurrect is not some immaterial soul. That's a concept that comes from Greek philosophy, not from Judaism or Christianity. Rather, it is our very bodies that will be made new, transfigured in the glory of the resurrection. And the same is true for this planet and for all things. So how we treat the animals that we eat matters. How we care for the earth matters. How we use our bodies matters. These things are gifts from God, and our faithful stewardship of them matters. The vision of our faith and of revelation is not that God will make all new things, but rather that God will make all things new. And this happens when God comes to dwell with creation, thereby bringing heaven to earth. The direction of heaven is not that we have to get up, but rather that it comes to us. And to the second question, what is heaven? Well, if you were to go out there and ask people on the street, they would probably all give you slightly different answers, but they would probably use the word place. Heaven is the place with golden streets. It is the place where God's throne is. It is the place we go when we die. It is the place of eternal life. And those answers, they have some truth in them, but they're not quite right. And even if we acknowledge the limits of language and metaphysics, heaven is not properly described as a place. Heaven can never be talked about in terms of where, but rather who. Heaven is a relationship, not a place. And the word that best describes this relationship of heaven is communion. This is what humanity's relationship with God was like in Eden. Humans were in full communion with God. There were no barriers to our relationship. As we heard in Revelation, though, there are barriers for us on this side of Eden. They are described as tears, death, mourning, crying, and pain. The vision of Revelation is that the home of God is among mortals. That is what heaven is, God with us. And it really doesn't matter if that happens here or there. What makes heaven is communion with God. And given this understanding of heaven, the accessibility and availability of heaven is radically changed. Heaven is not the place across the river Styx where only the dead get to go. Heaven is not the place for the righteous or those who follow all the rules, or came up with the right formula for faith. No, heaven is communion with God. Now, to be sure, we still struggle with pain, sin, doubt, selfishness, ignorance, and death. So the glimpses of heaven that we get here on earth are always limited, as looking through a glass with smudges all over it. But they are glimpses nevertheless. 
And there are certain times and encounters when the fog lifts, when we have fuller experiences of this mystic sweet communion with God. Such glimpses are called the beatific vision, when we have glimpses of the fullness of heaven, even on this side of the transfigured earth. One place we see this is in the lives of the saints. They show us the sort of courage, generosity, and commitment that come from a deep and intimate relationship with God. Another place we are brought closer into communion with God is, of course, the Holy Eucharist, when we are given a foretaste of the banquet of heaven. God came down to us in Jesus and gave us his very body and blood, the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation, so that we might commune, commune more fully with God and each other. And this is why the Eucharist is so special and so holy, why it is at the center of our identity and our worship. It is the gift by which God makes heaven available to us by becoming both our food and our host to nourish us in grace and love. This heavenly communion with God is also something that I see in our recently dedicated Pentecost icon. What's depicted in that icon is the day of Pentecost, which happened 2,000 years or so ago. But at the same time, it is a window into a timeless and transcendent communion in heaven. For one, bread and a chalice are present, so it is the fullness of beloved community with the children of God across time and space. And we are all gathered by the power of God's presence in the Holy Spirit. And that icon, like all icons, is not a piece of art to look at from the outside. Rather, it is a reflection of a deeper reality showing us more than our eyes can see. That icon does not end at the frame that surrounds it. Rather, it extends into our church, our community, our world. In college, my campus minister was fond of telling us all to see communion in everything, which is another way of saying, see heaven all around you, which is possible because God is always with us. And when we are aware of this communion with God, we find ourselves in heaven. Now, of course, the future hope of heaven is when our relationship with God is unencumbered by the distractions of mourning, crying, and pain, when sin and death no longer have influence over us. So I am not saying that this is as good as it gets, but to be sure, God intends and promises to bring us fully into communion in a transfigured and fuller way. But at the same time, heaven is not less than what is around us because heaven is not a place, it's a relationship. And this means that as we spend time in that relationship, cultivating it, it allows us to experience heaven more fully just as in any relationship you have, the relationship will be stronger when you share meals and conversations with one another. And so when it comes to God, when we spend time in prayer, in beauty, in service to others, in participating in the sacraments, we put ourselves in a place to be nourished from this abundance of God's love. Heaven is not a place. Rather, it is the presence of God with us. 
The way we think about heaven is too often like wandering through the forest with no compass or map. Scripture, though, tells us exactly what heaven is and how we participate in it. Heaven comes to us from the overflowing and gracious love of God. And this love is a gift to know, to enjoy, and to share right now. Now, for a lot of us, this is a huge paradigm shift. This is not what we have been taught to think about. So a radical rethinking and reordering of heaven needs to happen. And it will take a while for this corrected vision to help us to see our faith in our world more fully and more truly. So start small. For now, every time we pray that prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we can pray it not just as a rote prayer, but rather as a declaration of our hope and a reminder of the gift of heavenly communion with God, both now and to be perfected into eternity.